He's been knocked out. Fisgianados with Evan Rutkowski. He's a good boy, you know. Hello, fight fans. It is Thursday, May 3rd, and this is the Fisgianados podcast. I'm your host, Evan Rutkowski, former HBO Sports marketing executive, giving you my take on what's happening on your screen and behind the scenes. Email is fistianatos at yahoo.com. Follow me on Twitter at fistianatospod. Um, I do get, I'm, I'm fairly active now, especially when news comes up that is relevant. You will definitely read me commenting on it, and I'm happy to interact. So let's review the action from the past two weeks quickly. I know there was a lot. So Saturday, April 21st on Showtime, Adrian Broner and Jesse Vargas fight to a draw at a catch weight of 144 pounds, while Jermall Charlo scores a second-round KO of Hugo Centeno Jr. to essentially become a mandatory for Triple G, uh, and Gervonta Davis had a third-round KO of Jesus Cuellar to win a vacant junior lightweight title. The night averaged 782,000 viewers, peaking at 891,000 for what it's worth in terms of seeing the night's audience build, Charlo's fight averaged 545k and Davis's fight averaged 460k. That basically tells you Adrian Broner is the star there. Saturday, April 28th on HBO, Danny Jacobs wins a unanimous decision over Maciej Suleski, and Jarrell Miller wins a unanimous decision over Johan Duhapis, averaging 811,000 viewers, peaking at 874,000. On ESPN, Top Rank had Isaac Dogbe winning by 11th round KO over Jesse Magdaleno to win the WBO Super Bantamweight title. Jesse Hart with a 7th round KO victory over Damon Nicholson and Bryant Jennings with a 10 round unanimous decision over Joey DeWaco. This fight, I only got the average, not the peak. It averaged 701,000 viewers. On Fox, the PBC had a triple header where... Jose Cito Lopez wins a unanimous decision over Miguel Cruz. Anthony Durrell has, has a unanimous decision over A.B. Hahn. And Claudio Marrero has a first-round KO over Jorge Lara. Their viewership averaged 839,000. I don't have a peak number for them, but this number is so bad, you do not need it. Uh, competition. Heavy competition. In addition to three boxing matches that night, Bellator averages 581,000 viewers on Paramount Network and 169,000 viewers on CMT. Interestingly enough, though, and Bellator does it weird, they go, they don't do it live live, which means you're live on the East Coast and live on the West Coast. Paramount Network televises live on the East Coast and three hours delayed on the West Coast. Um, interesting strategy. But if you look at the main event, the, and this I mentioned on Twitter uh, Fedor fought Frank Mir, which for anyone who's sort of like an old school MMA fan, Fedor's a big draw, peaks at 1.5 million viewers. Really interesting number for that and basically shows you that no one was interested in any other aspect of the card besides the main event, but that is a good number for the main event. NBA playoffs on TNT, 
they were at 4 million and 4.5 million. The NBA, as you can imagine, draws from a very similar crowd as boxing. Um, when I worked at HBO, we advertised uh, on the NBA all the time. It's a great crossover crowd. So as you can imagine, that is a night stock loaded, full of competition. Um, and there really were no winners. Let's start with quick analysis. Adrian Broner. A lot of people were calling this the last chance for Adrian Broner. And obviously, you know, first of all, that was never true. Um, even a competitive loss would have kept him on Showtime with the ratings that he draws. When he draws ratings like this, you know, he peaked at higher than the HBO event. And the HBO had a paid media campaign behind it. That kind of tells you all you need to know. I touched on this in the last podcast. I don't think he has the talent in the ring to be a special fighter. And I think this fight proves it. He and Vargas are probably B-ish level talents who, when they work hard and fight at their best, can reach that sort of B plus, A minus territory, depending on how hard you grade them. But Adrian Broner is an A or A plus level marketer of himself. Uh, I personally love that side of him. I will always tune in. I think he has done what many boxers find very difficult, which is simply eliciting a strong reaction from the public. Many love him, many hate him, and that's exactly what you want. Um, If I had a say in programming at any network doing big-time boxing, I would want him, but I would want him only at the price that Showtime got him for this fight. His purse was a million dollars, and... With the inconsistencies that he really brings to the table with his day-to-day life, you just can't pay him more than that. You just can't. Um, It's too much of a risk. But at that price, you can take the chance. And when he shows up like he did this time where, you know, brings some fun week of marketing type stuff with a social media feud and, you know, brings a nice crowd to to Brooklyn – that's good. Good for him. Um, gave a good, a really pretty great action fight, actually, with a lot of twists and turns. It made for good television. Give Kevin Cunningham some credit. Um, give Showtime some credit for good matchmaking. You know, so Steven Espinosa, Al Heyman. Um, I know Al Heyman's not officially at Showtime, but he clearly has a say in what happens there on matchmaking. Give them credit. Uh, the other fights aren't really worth talking about too much. Um, you know, both massive favorites, great odds on the fights and the action in the ring really shows that, uh, I did, I love the video going around on social media, which showed Centeno being a responsibly defensive fighter, which produced a special offensive moment for Charlo. Um, but again, let's be honest, that was like a 40 or 50 to one betting favorite, um, and I love the GG, the triple G call out, but we are not at all close to that. Uh, fight becoming a reality for triple G let's get past Bonus and then Canelo and then we can talk about what's next and he's probably and more on this later he's probably going to want to fight Derevchenko and Saunders to unify I don't know that anyone else is going to get him before that assuming everything goes to plan um, so for Charlo what does that mean he's probably just going to have knockout victories against a bunch of second-rate competition I don't know, maybe they can have Jarevichenko fight him for the IVF belt, assuming they strip Triple G. I don't know. Something like that. There's mandatories that'll figure that out. But I'd love to see Charlo fight 
a higher level opponent. As for Javante Davis, we all want to see him fight Lomachenko. I understand why his handlers don't want that. There's actually a lot of great fights out there for him besides Lomachenko, and I don't think it hurts him too much to do a few of those fights. Um, it gives the Lomachenko fight a chance to marinate and maybe becomes a bigger fight for both guys. But, you know, right now you'd make Lomachenko a massive favorite. And, you know, I don't really think winning by knockout against Cuellar tells us that much about Davis. It, it just sort of gets him a belt. Um, April 28th, there's a lot of ground to cover here. I'll do it quickly. I'd say solid numbers for HBO and ESPN considering the competition. But in isolation, none of those are great numbers. Uh, for the PBC, it is downright awful. And you're if you're Fox, you're in the territory of like, put a rerun of another show on and you'll probably do a better number. It, it's a pathetic number for the, for the PBC on Fox. Um, ESPN. This is a product of the deal you made in both a good way and a bad way. I know I've said this before. I just want to drive that point home. I've said here ESPN will need to probably, and I, I don't know, I have no inside info on this. They'll probably need to get this number to like a million uh, viewers for the lower sort of tier of fights. Um, 701,000 doesn't really move the needle either way. I do like that they have some activity, and I actually think on on this podcast will likely come out on Friday, and ESPN has a good Golden Boy fight Friday night. I like the activity that they have building up to the Lomachenko fight, but this, you know, if this was doing a better number, it puts less pressure on that Lomachenko-Lenars fight, but now there's a lot of pressure on it. Let's see what happens during the week on ESPN that week. NBA playoffs are still going on, so I know it's going to be, you know, not the easiest uh, sell in the world, but that's going to have to do a pretty, pretty good number. So this week, rather than do a deep dive, I wanted to address several questions that have come my way um, just through various, a couple weeks, sometimes some of them came over email, whatever. I'll, I'll take questions at any time. I think this is the right way to do it. Maybe it's one question, an episode or something like that, but let's see if, if people like this. Let me know uh, what your thoughts are. So let's start out. How does HBO determine when to do a 24-7 for a fight versus a my fight or similar programming? And how is a network fight made? What role do people have in setting up the fight? And how do they determine a budget for a particular sport? I'm sort of combining questions from Lawrence Esquire at License to Hustle on Twitter, Jason to Fexus, which I think that's his Twitter handle, and then Troy W at my 81 Baby Blue on Twitter. Um, I think all these questions really get at how a network looks at boxing and how they make individual fights. So at a macro level, places like HBO Showtime and ESPN understand what the audiences expect. They know their revenue streams and they set aside a certain budget. That's from a really high level. This happens well above any kind of sports or other departmental level. Like Peter Nelson and Steven Espinosa probably, they can lobby, but they probably don't have a huge say in how this happens. Um, and ESPN, it's a little bit different because they're not just going off of subscribers. They have a couple other things to factor into the equation. Uh, the ESPN Plus app, which I've talked about in the past, there is revenue that comes from uh, monthly subscribers to ESPN, and then there is ad revenue. Um, so, and when I say monthly subscribers, I mean through your cable service. So, 
it's a little bit different. You don't have to make a profit simply off of sponsors wanting to be part of boxing for ESPN, but you you get the point. Um, and then for the for the fights, you know, here's what I'd say: when there's especially when there's a big fight um, on regular on like a regular HBO or Showtime, it gets treated essentially like any other programming and I I'll, I don't I don't want to spend too much time on this. I covered it a few episodes ago when I talked about it uh having a fight on pay-per-view, but there there's usually going to be several fights or several pieces of programming that that teams are working on at the same time and it it just people get together, there's regular meetings. There is updated information on what is likely to be happening. People prepare, and then, as you'd imagine, when a fight gets announced, basically every single group gets together. It's incredibly professional. It's incredibly collaborative. They all talk about certain themes of the fight, and then one group goes off and they make the key art, If there's an, uh, which is the fight poster, basically. If there is an off-channel media spend, that was my group with the, the, that made the key art and the off-channel media spend. We would determine where that money goes, how you're, you're positioning it. Um, there is a group of people who goes off and makes the trailer for what gets shown on the network, on YouTube. There's a different version that gets cut down for off-channel. This gets into some boring marketing stuff. The programming team, I mean, I think one interesting thing to note here is the, the programming team, when they tell us what the fight is, they sort of have an influence on how everything is positioned, but they kind of let the marketing team do their job. It It's just a very collaborative process. Everybody checks back in at certain points. You want to make sure that all the messaging is really similar. I think it's a good process. Um, another question from an email. What happened with the Bill Simmons show that was under HBO Sports? This is a quick one. It was not under HBO Sports. It was actually under the same group in HBO that did that does Bill Maher, that does John Oliver. It's sort of the late night talk show. Any any stand up comedy that happens there. So if you are a fight fan, do not despair. That show did not affect your budget, uh, affect the HBO Sports budget in terms of fights made that year. That did not affect what you watched on screen for boxing. Um, okay, so. This is probably my favorite question from John L at John underscore Bobcat. If you were budgeting a Joshua versus Wilder pay-per-view, how many buys would you forecast assuming the fight takes place in the United States? I would, I would right now, right this second, say 200 to 250,000 buys. That is probably optimistic. The comps here are Triple G versus Lemieux, Triple G versus Jacobs, and maybe... Ward, Kovalev, one and two. So if we look at the Triple G versus Lemieux and Jacobs, I think this is actually a better comp. Both of those did a nice gate, but uh, they if you look at reported numbers, they did sub 200,000 buys. You have a foreign star like Triple G versus an American like Jacobs. And, you know, Lemieux is, yes, he's a Canadian, but was at least semi-familiar to American audiences. You know, look, Remember, the Klitschkos were big stars in Europe. They never did well on pay-per-view. They only fought a couple times and maybe only once on pay-per-view when they did it in the United States. Um, 
except for his fight with Klitschko, Joshua has never really done over 500,000 viewers in the United States. You know, Kovalev Ward, it's a little bit different, but you've got an American star here doing similar numbers to what Wilder was doing in Ward. And then you've got like this foreign sort of crushing machine in Kovalev, similar to AJ. AJ's obviously like Kovalev and AJ aren't, aren't even in the same stratosphere. But in terms of the United States, you can make an argument that right like when the Kovalev Ward fight was made, Kovalev was a bigger star in the United States than Joshua is right now. Like just no one knows who he is, who Joshua is. And this is reflected by his television numbers. Um, I just want to emphasize here that no matter how big of a star you are in the UK or any foreign market, US audiences really need to be introduced to you in the proper way before pay-per-view becomes a major factor. The one thing I will say about this, if AJ gets a few fights in the US and some publicity, his star could rise quickly and we might only be talking about one or two fights in prime time and maybe that number can get up to like 500,000 pay-per-view buys. But we're talking a major PR campaign here, and we're talking a major marketing campaign for the fight, like probably twice, if not three times what you would normally spend to get to that kind of pay-per-view buy because you just, you have to introduce him to the audience in the right way. And right now, it, and it's not even a critique of Showtime, it just, it doesn't make sense for AJ with the money he's making in Europe to do that. Now, I think... The fight can even get higher than 500,000 if you get to a, a great first fight and potentially a second or third fight and, and if he makes the right news. But that's where it is right now. I mean, it, you know, 200,000 to 250,000, and that's optimistic. You know, you're talking about hardcore boxing fans, and that's it. Okay. From at Barrera v. Morales, does HBO's sizable investment, according to Hearn and Jacobs, make much sense at a time when they've got all these budgetary constraints, Danny isn't going to move the needle and is not going to blow up into a star at this stage. Even to curry favor with Hearn, it seems odd. Similar question from Troy W. He gave me two. In regards to Daniel Jacobs, from a network standpoint, how do they set up fights with other networks? So let me start with Troy. They don't. Uh, the whole point of an exclusive contract is that the only way a fighter leaves is if HBO benefits from it. That means it's a pay-per-view fight with a relevant opponent. Um, right now at Danny Jacobs weight class, all the relevant pay-per-view opponents are HBO fighters. So, uh, HBO would not let him out of that contract. He would have to finish the contract out. They will not make a deal with another network. Um, if they did, the fight would happen on HBO and it would be a fighter from another network coming over to HBO. Um, so let's go to the first question. So, um, Here's what I'd say. I won't kill HBO for doing this deal at the time they did it. Remember, they did this deal in the fall after Canelo and Triple G fought to a draw that did big business on pay-per-view. So they were really in the big-time middleweight business and wanted to be in the heavyweight business. They went out. They signed Danny Jacobs. They gave like a fight or two, I think just one fight actually, to Demetrius Andre. They made the Lemieux-BJ Saunders fights. They started putting on other middleweight fights. You know, you saw like Spike O'Sullivan. You know, at the time, Canelo and Triple G were going to fight on May 5th. And then if Canelo won, 
he'd be interested in a lot of big fights next on in September, basically. And if Triple G won, he'd be into unifying the belts, but would only have to make the Saunders fight for that really to happen. So you got to, and, and he's more active than Canelo, so he may even fight before September. So at the time, it seemed like a really reasonable deal to lock up Danny Jacobs if he gets a good, a couple of good performances. You got a solid rematch against Triple G as a possibility, and a, a you know a pretty good fight against Canelo if Canelo wins and Canelo wants him next. Like build him up. That that could be a big fight. Um, obviously, it hasn't worked out that way. So you do ultimately you get judged on how these things work out and not the mitigating circumstances. And you know this is going to work out terribly for HBO. Uh, Jacobs probably won't fight Canelo or Triple G in as any of his four fights in his four-fight deal. You know, he's now calling out Charlo, who's over at Showtime. Uh, Derevchenko is also with DiBella over at Showtime, basically. Um, you know, at some point, Showtime also has a, a pretty stacked group of 154-pounders. So you got to think at the end of this contract... Jacobs might even benefit by heading back over to Showtime. And AJ saying, you know, part of the reason is AJ seems likely to sign over there right now. So if you're HBO, you put a lot of effort, a lot of time, and a lot of money into Jacobs. You're not getting great fights, really. I think the Suleski fight was a pretty good fight. I actually, I think it was a pretty good fight and a worthy fight. I wish it was his first fight. You're definitely not getting great viewership numbers. Um, you know, at least two fights in. We'll see if that changes. But... I hope I hope that's a good enough answer to both of those questions. Okay, a um, couple news and notes. So Canelo's hair test. I've talked about this ad nauseum. I don't need to talk about this anymore. You know, Canelo essentially exonerates himself and makes the Nevada Athletic Commission look really dumb. They clearly, had they gone through the proper legal procedures, could have just had the fight on May fifth. Enough. Let's move on. Okay, the Wilder-Joshua offer, um, that was news for like a day. I covered it pretty well on Twitter, but for everyone out there who did not read my tweets, the $50 million purse, let's just do a quick summary here. You have to, it, it was obviously all just a publicity stunt, and, and a good one, if not a great one to that end. They got on the front page of ESPN.com, good for them, Okay. Quick math, to have a $50 million purse, to pay, let's just say you're paying both fighters $25 million each, you probably have to hit a number similar to what Canelo and Triple G did on pay-per-view. Maybe a little bit less. But, you know, they, if you, according to reports, they did over 1.2 million pay-per-view buys, and according to the the Nevada Athletic Commission, they did a $27 million gate. If you're oversimplifying everything, at an $80 suggested retail price, if you do 1 million buys and you get a $10 million guarantee at the gate, not a $10 million gate, but a $10 million guarantee, that puts you at $50 million in revenue. That does not count foreign. That does not count closed circuit. That does not count Movie theaters, if you have them, it doesn't count sponsors, doesn't count merchandise. There's a couple other smaller revenue streams. It doesn't count all that. It also doesn't count for expenses, all right? 
to give you an idea of what it takes to get a just a $10 million gate, not a $10 million guarantee at the gate because uh, everybody gets their cut of this. It's not A $27 million gate does not mean the fighters are splitting up $27 million. Mayweather Pacquiao did $72 million. Mayweather McGregor did $55 million. But number three on the list is Canelo and Triple G, which did $27 million. That is number three all-time in Nevada at $27 million. Let's look at fights that had foreign fighters from, from the UK. You know, Lewis Holyfield 2 did almost $17 million. That's back in 1999. Calzaghi Hopkins did $11.6 million. Maybe the best comp, though, Mayweather Hatton did $10.3 million at the gate. $10.3 million, and that's not a guarantee. That is what the actual gate is. So... It's incredibly unrealistic. When you look at the number I posited earlier, 200 to 250,000 pay-per-view buys right now, maybe let's just say, let's say it does get to 500,000 pay-per-view buys. And let's say it does a Mayweather Hatton Gate. It might actually do better than that. I think the, the UK fans will travel for this one and that will drive the, the, the ticket prices up a little bit. It'll probably guarantee a sellout. Um, but Deontay Wilder's only averaging like 10, 12,000 fans per fight. Like he's not in Anthony Joshua territory. The math just doesn't make any sense at all. Um, I want to talk about the ESPN plus app. I don't think we have enough information yet to truly gauge it. The one thing I'll say is you can't watch the fights that are on ESPN on the ESPN plus app. Uh, Right now, I think here's the big thing. I think this will change over time. What the one thing I want to comment on here, the big debate so far has been, is this good for boxing? Because, you know, let's say, let's look at the, the Crawford fight versus Jeff Horn versus like a regular linear fight on, on ESPN. Is that good for boxing? Well, less people are going to watch the Crawford Horn fight on ESPN plus. There's no doubt about that. That's definitely true. Um, more people watch linear TV than any kind of thing they have to pay for, you know, fact. If you look historically at boxing, it's also true that when boxing left network TV and started moving towards pay cable, audiences shrunk, you know, fact, I get it. But here's the, here's the thing that I want to leave you with when I, when I talk about this, we aren't, we aren't headed towards that future. Um, you know, I know I cover this a lot in, in my episode about why the OTT, what that means for boxing. We won't know what the numbers are, but in 20 years, there is probably not going to be what we know as linear TV. It might be 10 years, all right? If you're a sport, and I think the NBA versus the NFL is actually a great example of this in what you're seeing right now. You want to be forward thinking. You want to be an early adopter of new technology like this. ESPN in 10 years is going to be completely different than the way we know it today. And it's probably going to look a lot more like what you see on the app than what you see on regular ESPN or ESPN2 right now. If you are early to the game, if you are forward thinking, you're going to be like the NBA, which is the only, it's basically one of the only television properties that last year saw their numbers increase. The NBA has one of the most forward-thinking 
policies on virtually everything. The NFL has one of the stodgiest ones and their numbers decreased. Now, I know at the end of the day, the NFL is, is the biggest audience that you can get. And the NBA is, it's increasing it, but it's still, you know, it's small compared to, compared to the NFL, but everything's small compared to the NFL. When it comes to this kind of stuff, you want to be an early adopter. If you're there first, it's like being one of the first shows on Netflix. The comedians, the stand-up comedians who did their first, they actually, because they were early adopters, because they went there first, they developed really great audiences. And if they would have waited and come over three or four years later, they wouldn't have developed those audiences. And I think that's where we're headed. I really do. I, I think you want to be one of the first sports that gets on ESPN Plus and really puts yourself out there and, and engages with the customers who start subscribing to it because it's all headed that way. That's where it's all going. And I think that's really important. And hats off to Top Rank for doing that. I think everyone knows where I stand on this at this point. I will have a future episode where I talk about both the Top Rank deal and maybe a little bit more on the app. Let's see, let's see how much more information comes out. There's one more thing I want to talk about for, before I get to the preview. I tweeted about this today. Dana White signing fighters. If Dana White is signing Mikey Garcia, I don't 100% know that's true. I think, you know, again, I have a day job, so I can't track every reporter who's putting this out. I think Lance Pugmire put it out, though. If he did, then it's definitely true. He's a reputable guy. If Dana White is signing fighters, that means the UFC made their TV deal, and that means they're happy with it. The UFC would never let Dana White sign boxers who are multiples more expensive than UFC fighters, at least at the maybe not at the very highest level, but at a high level. That's how it goes down. I, I, yeah, yeah. I mean, that is something that means they got a great deal. I think the first key takeaway there is there's a lot of people in the boxing industry who thought that the UF, that WME essentially overpaid for the UFC. They paid over $4 billion for it. And I'm going to wait before I want to do a full episode on this, a full deep dive on this. If it, once the numbers come out, if the numbers are what they were reported to be in variety, I think a week, a week or so ago, maybe a week and a half ago. I mean, WME might've underpaid for it. They really might have. That's a great, they got a great TV contract. If that's true. Um, let's hold, let's hold on that. I think I'd rather talk about that with real numbers then, then, then wait and just extrapolate. All right, let's go to the preview section here. I don't want to dive too deep into this. May 5th, I've talked about this ad nauseum. Triple G fights Bonus Martirosian. Cecilia Bracus is fighting Cali Reese. I hope I pronounced those names correctly. Um, Triple G is like a 30 or 40 to 1 favorite. Bracus is like 60 to 1. Ugh is all I got to say to HBO based on those odds. I mean, I love seeing Triple G. Don't get me wrong. I love seeing him. I love seeing him live on the network, not on pay-per-view. We all know the circumstances around this, or certainly anyone who's listening to this podcast does. Interestingly enough, Tony Bellew versus David Hay. Hay is a 2-1 to favorite uh, if you're a gambler. 
this strikes me as an obvious bet on Tony Ballou. May 12th. So HBO, Saddam Ali versus Jaime Munigia. Um, for Ali's WBO junior middleweight title, Ray Vargas versus Azat Hovanesian. There are not odds out on these numbers. I think, I think Ali, no one's seen enough of this Mungia or Mungia. I'm sorry for mispronouncing his name. I think that'll be in the 8 to 10 to 1 range towards Saddam Ali. Um, on this kind of short notice, look, it wasn't a bad fight, and I think it's it, it's a salvageable, you know, thing here for HBO. But this is two weeks in a row we're seeing this. That's a tough break for HBO. I feel bad, but you got to call it like you see it. it. It's not making for great TV right now. Um, the undercard should be a pretty good fight, though, and it should be closer odds. The big fight. Uh, on ESPN, Jorge Linares versus Vasily Lomachenko for Linares's WBA lightweight title. Awesome fight. The odds, you know, Lomachenko is a big favorite for this. He he's over a ten to one favorite. Um, I guess you you could say you could find Linares at plus eight hundred. Lomachenko you can find you know minus twelve hundred, but he's closer to minus fifteen hundred. I feel like the odds don't reflect how competitive this fight will be, and maybe they will come down closer to fight time. But at the same time, I you know if you're a betting man, tough to bet against Lomachenko for this. It's a great fight, though. It is one of the few fights out there for Lomachenko where you really expect to see him challenged, but you also expect to see him come through and win. Um, I'm really interested to see what kind of marketing push and what kind of push ESPN gives on the regular programming for this. They did a big one for Lomachenko Rigondeaux. It did a great number. I am expecting to see something similar uh, to this. And the NBA playoffs are going on, so I think they will have ample opportunity to promote it. So look out for that. If they do that, you know, that's a great sign for how they're viewing their partnership with Top Rank. Look. It's this is a big moment for them because the next one, the Crawford Horn fight, is on ESPN Plus, and that's another big moment for ESPN Plus. But this, I think, this will be the last sort of really big one on ESPN for for a little while. They're not; they're only doing a couple of them a year. Um, so you know, interested again to see what's going on. Look, guys, it's fun. I'm out of here. Fun stuff. I'm going to do a normal deep dive next week, but let me know what you what your thoughts are on the questions. I'm happy to do this kind of episode again. Maybe these are all the questions that you have for me, but I don't know. I have no idea what you guys are interested in. So um, hit me up on Twitter. Hit me up on email. You know, hit me up wherever you can find me. I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on all these other places, but that's my day job sort of stuff. But I'm happy to take questions from anywhere. Um, I love hearing from you guys. Have a great weekend. At least enjoy Cinco de Mayo and enjoy the Lomachenko-Linares fight on May 12th. And who knows? Maybe the fights on HBO are going to be good. You know, I'm I'm trying not to be too negative on them given the circumstances. Maybe they're going to be good. Maybe they're better than all the ESPN fights. You know, um, good night, though, May 12th. That's going to be a good, fun night. All right, guys. I'm out. Did you get what you was looking for?